0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
2: It's rushing! Deep left field. This is way back. Walk the walk. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy
3: becomes reality!
2: Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
3: I'm just going to come out and say it. Second base is bad. Welcome into <laughs> fantasy baseball today, and welcome to November. I am Frank Stample joined by Scott White. You guessed it. Today on the show, second base year in review and a look at Scott's early 2023 rankings at the second base position. Recording this a little in advance, so we actually don't know what's going on in the World Series. I just hope the Phillies are winning. So let's go, Phillies. Scott, before we started, you mentioned Movember. What do you say you you grow a mustache for the month, huh? How about no,
1: Frank? (laughs) How about no? no? (laughs) Yes, I'm not going to do that. It would not. Nobody would enjoy that, Frank. Nobody at all. You would not like it. Uh, I disagree. I would not like it. I think I would love it. Life would not like it. Have you ever Which means I would not like (laughs) it. It would be bad. All
3: right. Anyway, how are the pitcher rankings going? (laughs) I know you've been throwing up polls left and right on Twitter. I can't imagine ranking pitchers in in October. It it seems kind of tough. How's it going?
1: Oh, I think ranking pitchers this year is going to be tough no matter when you do it. It's just... It means that the position has become very deep that it's hard to differentiate between... The quality options at the top of the list. We've talked before, you know, even when the season was still going on. How it looks like there's a clear top seven, but just distinguishing between those seven is uh, is hard enough. When you get to number eight <laughs> through number like thirty-two, it's just as hard in that range to to sort out uh, what order what order we should be drafting the starting pitchers. So yeah, it's been a headache, and and it goes beyond that. Even I mean, I would say. Uh, Now that I've had a chance to really dive into it, starting pitcher looks 60 strong, Uh, like 60 options that I feel really good about having in my starting lineup to begin 2023. And it's not like there's nobody good after 60. It's just 60 I feel really good about. So yeah, it's, it's a position where certainly going to reverse course from the past couple seasons targeting starting pitchers early. I think I'm going to go back to the more traditional approach to fantasy baseball, the one I long held, really loading up on hitters early. And as we've talked about with these early position recaps slash previews, emphasizing position eligibility within the hitter pool. I think that's, the, the more I look at these The the more I look at how that pool is shaping up, the more I think that's the way to go in 2023.
3: For anyone who's watched or listened the past couple of years, you'll remember that Scott was adamant the past couple of seasons to get five or six of his top 30 or 35. Uh, But the landscape in fantasy baseball has changed. I'll be interested to know, once we get to starting pitcher, we've got some time before we get there, how many of those top 60 you are aiming to get? in drafts. But uh, as I mentioned, we'll get the starting pitcher in uh, a couple of weeks from now. But let's jump into second base. Obviously, we're going to recap the top 10 from this past season. And, and I can tell you, by the time we get to like six or seven, it's just, who are we even talking about? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> there, Look, there yeah. was a lot of injuries at the position. I will say that. Jazz Chisholm, uh, Ozzie Albies, Brandon Lau, Jorge Polanco, Ketel Marte, Jonathan India. Those guys will still be ranked relatively early for next season. Uh, but, yeah, obviously that that killed the production uh, in 2022,
1: mm-hmm. Scott. And go ahead. And the position is losing Trey Turner. It's yep. losing Mookie Betts, who only briefly gained, who only gained eligibility at second base late in the year. But still, it's losing Mookie Betts for the start of next year. It's losing Ty France. Uh, yeah. Let me see. It's losing Nico Horner to whatever extent that matters. Mm. It's losing Javier Baez. It's losing quite a few players making what was already a thin crop even thinner.
3: So that brings me to my first question before we even get into the recap. Normally, Scott, I don't draft for position scarcity. I I think that normally that's a way to almost pass up on more productive players just uh, just to avoid feeling uncomfortable, I guess, is a way to put it in your draft, you know? But... I I think that I will target second base early for for all the reasons that I mentioned. I mean, mm-hmm. th- this position is really bad and and we do have some pretty strong names up top, but honestly, if you get past the first 5 or 6 rounds of the draft without a second baseman, I think you're probably going to feel pretty bad about whoever you get at that. Well, point. yeah, and, and I mean
1: the the idea of position scarcity, it goes back to to a time that a, a lot of people don't even remember in fantasy baseball because the juice ball era lasted for so long and it it's, it it leveled the playing field in terms of power so much that there wasn't a position that was that scarce really except for maybe catcher just because catcher is catcher. Uh, but across the infield, the positions were pretty balanced, and so there wasn't much need to play the position scarcity game for a span of over five years. And I, you know, I, I pointed this out uh, during that time as I was releasing my position tiers articles that I've been writing, you know, for fifteen years now, and continued to write them because it's a popular piece of content. But I didn't feel like they were as relevant as they used to be because the drop-offs at positions weren't as extreme and, and weren't as uh, where the drop-offs did exist. They weren't as impactful, but I think we're getting back to a point. Where we're seeing it here at second base. We're seeing it. We're going to see it at third base. We're, we're seeing it at every position to some extent where when the drop-off comes, it can be crippling. Like it's, it's, it, it, you're you're going to have a black hole in your lineup if you don't get on the right side of that. And uh, I think that, I think that the game of fantasy baseball is more interesting that way, but it's going to be jarring for a lot of people who don't have a memory of what that's like.
3: All right, so let's jump in. Scott already mentioned Trey Turner did finish as the highest rated second baseman this past season, but will not have second base eligibility. So let's move on to the next name who will be second base eligible next year. And that was Jose Altuve, who finished as the 19th overall player in Roto. He averaged 3.6 fantasy points per game. That was second at the position, but... It was actually first, if you don't consider Mookie Betts. Uh, Altuve was the sixth second baseman off the board last year with an ADP of 56, so did pay off quite a bit of value. He hit 328 homers, 103 runs, 57 RBI, 18 steals. He led the position in runs and home runs. His 18 steals were his most since 2017. He had a a total of 13 steals from 2019 through 2021. So this just kind of came out of nowhere, a running renaissance for Jose Altuve. And Scott, I can already tell you, much like Paul Goldschmidt, people will not be enthusiastic to draft Jose Altuve in the second or even the third round. I think we're going to see drafts where he falls to the fourth round and maybe even beyond that um, next year.
1: He's not hes not fallen by me. Uh, I yeah. can tell you that much. I i thought it was ridiculous how much he was sliding even prior to this year, the, the disrespect Jose Altuve's gotten in fantasy, it, it really dates back to the 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 cheating scandal breaking. I don't know if that's necessarily the reason for it or if it was that decline in stolen bases that he's now reversed this past year and and at a good time because you know if he's if he's back to showing that willingness to run, running's gonna become a lot easier next year, as I've pointed out. And we could see uh, Jose Altuve maybe get back to being a 25 30 steel guy I think it's in the realm of possibility I'm not going to predict it but I think it's I think it's possible for him again if the environment changes like I think it will Um, but but leaving that out leaving that off the table just looking at what he did what he's been doing the past couple years where he's gotten this disrespect and fantasy it's been a very easy pick for me and that's going to be especially true this upcoming year like you're drafting with me, he's probably not making it past round three because I'm going to gobble up that every time. You mentioned he was second at the position in points per game, but first if you eliminate Mookie Betts, which you should because yeah. Betts isn't going to be eligible that next year. So let's just say Altuve was first in points per game among second basemen in 2022. The gap between him and number two at second base for points per game was bigger than it every other position except the outfield the gap between judge and number two in the outfield was bigger but otherwise altuve and the number two second baseman that's the biggest gap and uh like i said i don't see a lot of reason to doubt what he did he's been certainly in the hitting stats the stolen base is equal question but again the landscape's changing so i, I don't think that's going to be so much of an issue for him either i think he's just going to be i think he's going to be awesome again and uh there's only two second basemen I feel comfortable saying that about in the whole player pool. So if I'm not getting Altuve, I'm getting Marcus Simeon is the other one. Um, that's that's going to be one of my top draft priorities this year because I really don't want to be left high and dry at this position.
3: And we'll get to Marcus Simeon in just a bit, but I do want to wrap up on Altuve that he's been a top 30 overall player in Roto each of the past two seasons. So again, he's... Proven it year over year. Some people might look at the StatCast numbers. They're bad, but they've been bad. This Nothing has changed. He's an extreme pull hitter. He puts the ball in the air, takes advantage of the short porch and left field in Houston, and he continues to be productive. Uh, some people will point to the age. He's 33 years old in May next year, but again, he's he's still been extremely productive. So none of those things really matter much to me. I, I'm with you, Scott. I'm, I think I'm going to be drafting quite a bit of Jose Altuve. I've done one draft, I'm one for one. I already got Jose Altuve in one of those. Second in at the second base position last year was last year. It's still this year, technically. Last season, I guess. Marcus Simeon, you mentioned him. He finished 25th overall in Roto. 3.1 fantasy points per game. That was sixth at the position. Uh, He had an ADP of 30 last year, so actually did pay off a little bit of value based on where he was drafted. He hit 248, 26 homers, 101 runs, uh, 83 RBI, 25 steals. Not quite a five-category contributor because the batting average is meh, but certainly is a four-category contributor, one of only four hitters to go 25-25 this past season. And speaking of the season, it was a tale of two seasons, basically, for Semyon. The first two months of the season, he hit 199 with a 540 OPS. Final four months, 268, 25 homers, and 810 OPS. I kind of feel like we can trust who Marcus Semyon is, got.
1: Yeah and and good for him because we were all doubting him at this time last year coming off a career year in Toronto and then uh oh, I don't know that we knew yet that he was going to Texas but uh that that didn't seem like the best shift for him and uh for the first couple months it looks like we were right about that but then he he turned it on as you pointed out I believe he was one of just 42525 25 guys correct yeah so and, and at the position where there's the least to get excited about that that makes it even more reason to to be enthusiastic about Marcus Simeon going forward i do worry that the that if the humidors are calibrated the same way moving forward set to the same temperature the same humidity that they were in 2022 that the slow starts could become the norm for Marcus Simeon. It could become the norm for a lot of players. The it, it stayed pretty cold throughout the league deep into May, and maybe that won't be the case every year. But at least in April, it should be pretty cl- cold around the league. And, uh, and the ball doesn't carry as well. It carries even worse when it's weighed down by those humidor settings. And for somebody like Marcus Simeon, who doesn't hit the ball that hard naturally... uh, it's a real obstacle to overcome. But just keep in mind next year, if it happens again, to stick with him because the final results should be be good.
3: I mostly trust Marcus Simeon at this point. Scott, you tell me if I'm overthinking this one. The only question I have is manager tendencies. So the Rangers as a team, they ran a lot under Chris Woodward the entire time while he was there. Their new manager is Bruce Bochy, who was the... was with the Giants from 2007 to 2019. I don't know how relevant these stats are because obviously stolen base numbers are dependent on who you have on your team most of the time and your personnel. But during his time with the Giants, they ranked 24th out of 30 teams in steals. Does that matter at all? Do you worry about uh, maybe uh, Bochy not being as aggressive with the Rangers on the base paths? I was with the
1: Padres a long time before the Giants and I recall him having some big base stealers during that time, but I don't even think it's worth looking into because again, with the rule changes being put in places, being put in place next year, I feel like you can throw out most everything you know about stolen bases, and I understand that's uncomfortable. You'd rather have a baseline expectation for what's going to happen for every player, but I, I, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment by doing that.
3: All right, let's move on to the third best second baseman this past season. That was Tommy Edmond, who will have second base and shortstop eligibility next year. He finished 47th overall. He averaged 2.9 fantasy points per game. He was the 13th second baseman off the board with an ADP of 114, so did pay off a lot of value in 2022. He hit 265, 13 homers, 95 runs scored, 57 RBI, 32 steals, basically identical to his 2021 season. So it kind of feels like we should know who Tommy Edmund is. But I don't know, Scott. I, I, he's still kind of a hard player for me to figure out. He got moved down to the bottom of the lineup at points throughout the season. He was hitting ninth for a while. I feel like as streaky as Tommy Edmund is, his floor is that he can get benched at some point. I don't know if that's fair or not, but I don't know. I just, I still kind of have this worry when it comes to Tommy Edmund. What do you think? I think it's not
1: totally unfounded that concern. With each passing year, it seems less likely. But look, just by the just by the the pure hitting metrics, the ones that tell us whether a player is a good hitter or not, Edmund isn't. And you know he's so versatile and and obviously there is that speed element that teams value at least to some degree. Feels like he's stayed good enough as a hitter to stick in the lineup, but could that change someday? I mean, Nolan Gorman doesn't have a dedicated lineup spot right now. Uh now he's not going to be able to play shortstop like Edmund mostly did down the stretch. So maybe that maybe just the fact that Edmund can be their shortstop salvages it. But I don't know. No, I, I don't think it's totally unfounded, but I don't think it's a huge concern. I don't think it's reason to avoid Edmund necessarily. I think the bigger reason to avoid Edmund would be that he's mainly giving you stolen bases. And are you going to need him to do that as much next year? It's been the most sought-after stat in 5 by 5 leagues for several years, but I kind of feel like that's going to change. And if it does, does the benefit of having Edmund outweigh the downsides? And I'm not sure it does. So... He's not going to be a high priority for me next year. I'll tell you that. There certainly comes a point where I would take him. But I'm going to guess somebody else will take him sooner just because of that emphasis on steals that's existed for so long.
3: All right. Brandon Drury was fourth at the position, but we're saving him for third base. So let's move on to Andres Jimenez, who had a breakout season, 63rd overall in Roto. He averaged 2.8 fantasy points per game. He was one of the, I guess you can consider him a league winner. Yeah, I would. His ADP was outside the top 300. So some people might have even picked nice. him up as a waiver wire ad. And he returned you know, top 70 value. So he he was really, really good. Uh, as I mentioned, career year, still just 24 years old. He hit 297, 17 home runs, 66 runs, 69 RBI, 20 steals. Obviously, you'd like for the counting stats to be better, but I feel like he was batting towards the bottom of the lineup for a large portion of the early season, at least, and then he finally got moved up, so maybe those numbers can improve, but he did exactly that. He improved. He lowered the strikeout rate quite a bit. He crushed lefties as a left-handed batter. 336 batting average, 887 OPS. I like the player quite a bit, Scott. I'm going to be interested to see what the cost is, but if it's reasonable, I could see being in on Andres Jimenez.
1: Yeah, I, I, he looks like a guy who could contribute in all five categories. I will note that he outperformed the StatCast metrics, but he did that as a 23-year-old. He had a near-2020 season as a 23-year-old while qualifying at the weakest position in fantasy. And I I think that alone is a pretty strong endorsement for him. Like Just the idea of him getting stronger and developing in all the ways players develop if he's already able to do this even if it was maybe him playing a little over his head you know i i I think there's a lot of reason to be hopeful for andres jimenez moving forward and my favorite stat for him actually it has nothing to do with fantasy but i feel like it's worth pointing out andres jimenez in terms of war at least according to baseball reference. I actually haven't checked fan graphs, but it, according to f- baseball reference, war, Andres Jimenez, 7.2 this year. Francisco Lindor's best war in all his years in Cleveland. Remember, Andres Jimenez came over to the Guardians in the Lindor trade. Lindor's best war in all his years in Cleveland, also 7.2. Hmm.
3: That is pretty interesting. Actually, that's crazy. I'm looking at yeah. fan graphs, and they had Andres Jimenez at 6.1, and uh, for Lindor in 2018, he was at 7.8. So, that's according to fan graphs. Either way you look at it, the fact that Andres Jimenez was that productive um, that soon after the trade for Lindor, I mean, you know, at the time, we all thought it was a crazy, like, what, are, what is Cleveland doing? This is a crazy trade, and... You know, it turns out that Jimenez and um, Ahmed Rosario have turned out to be you know quality players at the Major League level. Yep. Let's move on to fifth at the second base position. That was Glaber Torres. He finished 77th overall in Roto, 2.7 fantasy points per game. He had an ADP of 179 before the season, so uh, jumped up over 100 spots in value. It was a big bounce-back season, after two very disappointing ones, Glaber hit 257, 24 home runs, 73 runs, 76 RBI, and 10 seals. You might ask yourself, well, why? How did this happen? First thing I noticed, Scott, and I noticed this very early in the season, he was much more aggressive. His swing percentage and his chase rate were both the highest since 2019. And normally, you don't want hitters to be too aggressive, but if you look at those type of statistics. The past two years, he was too patient. Borderline passive at times. I I don't really know what went into that. Um, But yeah, it was something that I noticed for quite a while. And so he was aggressive, and he hit the ball much harder than he ever did before. So, uh, can you see yourself being in on someone like Gleyber Torres next year?
1: Not really. No. Not that I'm gonna be out. I think he can do this again. I I think we're already beyond the point where you're talking a real game changer in fantasy. Unless he ups his steals production, he had ten. I mean, that's that's obviously a pretty good total this year. I don't see him as a base dealer, but again, you kind of throwing it out, kind of throwing out everything I know about stolen bases. So I'll well, at least keep an open mind on that front. Uh, it's encouraging that he regains some of the power he lost because he's going to need it. It's just he doesn't bring much to the table. That I can see right now beyond, you know, a a pretty good home run total, but not a great home run total. Yeah, it's just kind of a boring fallback option, I feel like.
3: And Glaber did rank 40th percentile in sprint speed this past year. So he's not fast by any means, but the past two years he's done a good job of, of picking his spots. I think he has like 24, 25 steals over the past two seasons. So. I think you kind of just pencil him in for 10, but maybe based on the landscape next year, he can uh, get up to 15 to 20, something like that. This is where things get interesting, Scott. Sixth best at the position this past year, Tyro Estrada, who played for the (laughs) Giants. He finished 94th overall, 2.6 fantasy points per game. Basically was not drafted. He was someone who was picked up, I would say relatively early on in the season. He hit 260, 14 home runs, 71 runs scored, 62 RBI, 21 steals, 14 homers, 20 steals, and that's that's a pretty productive player. I, you know, I don't want to downplay what he did too much. Uh, he makes a lot of contact, just a 16.5% strikeout rate, also hits a lot of ground balls, uh, doesn't hit the ball very hard, is pretty fast, 75th percentile in sprint speed, crushes lefties, not good against righties, Scott. So, I, <laughs> I don't really know what to make of Tyro Estrada, and given the fact that he plays for the Giants. It would not surprise me if he becomes a platoon player at some point.
1: Yeah, he's been a tough one. He was a tough one to figure out all year. He got picked up so quickly that we never much talked about him. We he was on he wasn't on anybody's radar coming into the season and then he got scooped up so quickly that he was kind of rostered beyond the point where we talked about him much on the podcast during the season.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, but it was it was surprising how useful he ended up being. I don't I I don't see a lot of upside here, and as you point out, there he could run into playing time issues. I think part of the reason he ended up ranking so high is is the number of second base eligible players who either underachieved or got hurt. Uh, so I don't even have him in my top twenty going into next year. I'm I'm not saying there's no point in drafting Estrada, but it would have to be late as like a middle infield option in a roto league.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, I was going to pull up some early, very early ADP just to see where he's going, but it's taking me quite a bit of time, so I'm just going to move on, and maybe I'll come back to it here and and let you know what's going on with Tyro Estrada. These next two, Scott, I'm going to put together seven and eight at second base. Jeff McNeil and Luisa Rise. And you could probably guess why I'm putting them together because they are very similar. <laughs> They're the similar same players. guy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Spider-Man meme all over again. Jeff McNeil yeah. finished 98th overall in Roto, 2.7 fantasy points per game. Luis Arise, 108th overall in Roto, 2.8 fantasy points per game. So even by those metrics, they were very, very similar players. McNeil hit 327. He led the National League. Uh, he actually led all of baseball in batting average. He won the NL batting title. Uh, Luis Arise hit 316. He won the American League batting title. Uh, It was nine homers for Jeff McNeil, eight home runs for Luisa Rise. You look at their lack of power, 128 Uh, isolated power for Jeff McNeil, 24th lowest among qualified hitters. Uh, Luisa Rise in that same stat, 104. He was 12th lowest. So I feel like if you draft these guys, Scott, it has to be in a very particular roster construction where maybe you just took a bunch of sluggers and you need to improve your batting average, but... Outside of that, it just does not really move the needle for me whatsoever. Well,
1: and, and yet they finished 7th and 8th at this position yeah, in the sure. leagues last and, year, and which I, were, I
3: think... They were both top 110
1: players, you know? like, I, But I, we're talking about guys who don't contribute power, who don't contribute speed. Both of them, for part of last year, were platoon players. Yeah. And yet they finished 7th and 8th at this position, according to our roto formula, which, I mean, it kind of sums up the state of second base. Uh, I do like them more than Tyro Estrada for next year. But, yeah, they're kind of category specialists. And um, uh, when I wrote it, when, if, you, if you go look up my second base, my early second base rankings on the site, I wrote up the top 20, and McNeil rounded it out. He was number 20. But it could have been a, a rise, and I address it there right in the article, that they're they're basically... The same guy the reason i gave mcneil a little bit of an edge is because he seems like less of a platoon risk he's not as bad against same-handed pitchers as Luis rise, arises and mcneil's secondary eligibility is the outfield while arises uh first base so outfield's more useful than first base and you'd be more likely to play mcneil at that second position than you would arise at his so yeah, that's that's how I rank them, but we're talking about rounding out the top twenty as opposed to being in the top ten.
3: And even in Points leagues, Scott, which you would figure is their better format because they make so much contact, they, you know, walk a decent amount. Luisa Rise had more walks than strikeouts this past season. But even with that, you know, two point eight and two point seven fantasy points per game, they're not necessarily standouts. They're fine, yeah. they're high floor plays, but uh, I, I think, especially in a points league, there's they're someone you would take later on, and you're not expecting much upside. So, uh, again, it's just not really excited to draft either one of those guys. I did pull up the Rasball Player Raider, Scott. Uh, so they have their own 5x5 five five algorithm, and, and they weigh out and value the players as well. They have Jeff McNeil at 110th, and Louisa Rise at 114. So, not dissimilar from where they rank on CBS, 5x5, uh, five but yeah, either way, they were both top 115 players regardless. The ninth best second baseman this past season was Jake Cronenworth. He finished 109th overall, averaged 2.7 fantasy points per game, had an ADP of 121 before the season, so gave you a tiny bit of profit based on where you drafted him. 240 batting average, 17 homers, 88 runs, 88 RBI, and 158 games. Jake Cronenworth, to me, Scott, has become the poster child of of a volume play where he just accumulates these counting stats because he plays every single day, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just don't know how good of a hitter he actually is on a a per game basis for fantasy purposes. Um, I noticed an interesting progression in his career. He came up as a contact hitter in the shortened 2020 season, high line drive approach. Statcast actually loved him in the shortened season. But now he's started to sell out for power. So his fly ball rate has gone from 29% to 36% to 48% this past season. Mm-hmm. And his OPS has gone from 831 to 800 to 727. So you just see how those things um, almost directly yeah. correlate for Jake Cronenworth. I think he's fine. I just, I, I don't know that he offers much upside either.
1: Well, I hit 21 home runs in his first full season last year. And I, th- I think as you point out, uh, looking at that escalating fly ball rate, he he kind of became home run uh, conscience, and he kind of sold out for them, like you said. And and that's, I don't think that's going to be a winning formula with the ball being in use now, with the humidor being in use now. He probably is better off lowering that launch angle, getting back to being a line drive hitter, maybe turning out to be something like Jeff McNeil and Luis arise contributing more in batting average than power. So, I don't think we I I don't think we know exactly who Jake Cronenworth is yet. But if he remains this, then yeah, he's kind of a batting average liability who helps enough in the counting stats just because he plays so much and I don't see that changing. But again, we're talking about a pretty boring option overall.
3: And to that point, Scott, if Fernando Tatis Jr. is healthy next year and and plays a majority of the season, these counting stats could be even better for Jake Cronenworth. Uh, I kind of wish he would blend this new approach with what we saw in 2020. You know, Maybe you don't completely sell out for line drives and, and uh, being a contact hitter, but maybe like a 270 with 15 homers, really good counting stats. I, I feel like that would wind up being a more productive player, but uh, I do agree. I think, It's kind of hard to figure out, uh, like, who is the real Jake Cronenworth at this point. Number 10 at the position was Josh Rojas, who actually played most of his games at third base. But let's just include him here, Scott, because I really don't want to go much further down the list. Uh, He finished 114th overall in Roto, 2.8 fantasy points per game, had an ADP of 281 before the season, so actually turned out to be quite valuable on the season and he hit 269, nine homers, 23 steals in only 125 games. That is a 11 homer, 28 steal pace over 150 games. Really strong plate discipline, Scott. He's always walked a lot, uh, over 10% walk rate in his career. Got his strikeout rate down below 20%. Hits a lot of line drives. Uh, hits the ball relatively hard um, for a middle infield eligible player. I think he's fine. I, I think he's kind of interesting. You know, solid batting average, good plate discipline, maybe 10 to 15 homers and 25 plus steals. That's that's a valuable player yeah. and, and probably better for Roto and category leagues.
1: I'm going to say something that may sound contradictory given how much I've talked about the stolen base landscape changing next year, but I don't trust Josh Rojas to steal 23 bases again. And if he doesn't, I don't see a lot else going on there. So I'm definitely going to be fading him next year. He's, he only has 50th percentile sprint speed. He, had, he hadn't he had shown much base-stealing prowess prior to this year. Uh, by the end of... You know, at different points during the year, including toward the end of the season, he wasn't an everyday player for the Diamondbacks. And... I just don't see a lot to like here. So Josh Rojas is he ranks he ranks behind Tyro Estrada for me going into next year, which means he's not in my top 20 at this position.
3: That is interesting considering he plays the two most shallow positions, right? Second base and third base. Fifteen of his twenty-three steals came in the second half. That's pretty impressive, Scott. I mean, 15 steals in 62 games. I know that right. he hasn't done it before, but the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. were really aggressive on the base pass in the second half, and I think that's going to well, be their mo moving forward too.
1: The other the other thing you have to consider is, that, does he stay in the
3: lineup? Yeah, he, I mean he was pretty I, like, bad. He, he
1: does. He doesn't look like a championship piece, you know. And I'm not saying the Diamondbacks <laughs> are a championship team, but like they're bringing really? in a lot of young guys. they um, who was playing third base for them by the end. Primarily, I think it was that guy they got from the Royals,
3: who's no big deal. Emmanuel Rivera. Yeah, that's the thing, Sky. I don't really see. Is there a is there a player that's going to come in and and prevent him from playing? I just don't know.
1: I don't know that there's going to be. Okay, so first of all, if Cattell Marte is healthy, he's second base, obviously, and um, yeah.
3: and he is a better short, second baseman than outfielder. So
1: shortstop is. Sp- well, at some point it might be Jordan Law Lawler, Lawler anchoring that spot, mm-hmm. and if it does become Lawler, then uh, hang on here, pulling up shortstop. Okay, so it was it was Geraldo Perdomo primarily playing shortstop. I don't know. Like, I'm. I'm not saying Rojas is just going to become a straight up bench guy, but I. I see him. You know, it's kind of like an. It's kind of another John Birdie situation where, yeah, there may be stretches where he's an everyday player, or there may be stretches where he's not, and if somebody better comes along, I don't think, I don't think the Diamondbacks will hesitate to kind of brush him aside.
3: Okay, I think he's a better hitter than John Birdie. I mean, just in, in terms of like the plate discipline that we've seen so far, at least, but. I get it. I mean, I guess I could see both sides. He did struggle mightily against left-handed pitching this past season. Uh, He he was better against them in previous seasons, so maybe this is an aberration, but uh, we'll see. See what happens with uh, Josh Rojas. Let's take a break, but before we do that, just want to remind anybody who is watching us to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Drop a comment. Definitely would appreciate that. Let us know who you're going to be drafting at second base next season and for those listening please hook us up with a five-star rating and a review on apple or spotify no matter where you listen let's take a break and we'll get to scott's early 2023 rankings here on fantasy baseball today new
2: cbs monday ncis here's where we can see ncis and ncis hawaii return with all new cases
3: Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals.
2: All new criminals.
3: Finally, not Linda got here. Lock in
2: paradise. And all new crimes to be solved.
3: If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one, murder.
2: New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii Monday, starting at nine eight Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.
1: Survivor Forty Six is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season.
3: The 2023 rankings for second base. Let's start with the top five at the position, and it should not surprise anybody. That number one is Jose Altuve, followed by Marcus Semien, Ozzy Albies, Jazz Chisholm, and Trevor Story. So three names there, Scott, that we have not talked about yet in this podcast. And ones that we definitely need to talk about starting right now because uh, yep. they're all very valuable players when they're on the field. Trevor Story, Jazz, Ozzie Albies, they all de- dealt with differing injuries this past season, but were extremely limited, especially Albies, just so unlucky. I mean, he fractured his foot in June. He came back. He's ready to, to be a part of the, the postseason run, and then he fractured his finger in September. I mean, frankly, it's just bad luck. He Mm -hmm. was pretty disappointing before that. So I I will point that out. But each of the past three full seasons before this year, he was a top 45 player in each of those. So Ozzy Albies is a weird hitter, Scott, where he doesn't really rank highly in like OPS or weighted runs created plus, like these all encompassing hitter stats. But he just has enough power and speed to find a way to get by and be valuable. So. I think I'm going to be in once again on Ozzy Albies. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I what I think is going to happen, though, and I don't know if the little bit of drafting you've seen or done backs this up. It could be that just Albies is a forgotten man because he missed so much of the year, and that's that tends to happen with these early mock drafts. But I kind of get the feeling he's going to be drafted ahead of Jose Altuve just because of that <laughs> seeming bias against Altuve. And... The pre the the long the 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 widespread preference for younger guys. I mean Ozzie Albies, he's he's still only twenty-five, you know? Yeah. And the 25 year old, he'll be 26 at that point, versus the 33 year old Altuve. I mean, just I think some people are just gonna not make it much more complicated than that. Oh, I want all Ozzie Albies, he's the guy with upside. I don't think he really has much room to improve over who he's already been, but I, I think a lot of people will look at that that way. And if if that's the case, there's no way I'm drafting any Ozzie Albies, you know? But if it plays out like my rankings and Ozzie Albies is the third second baseman drafted behind Altuve and Simeon, then I'd be fine taking him. Uh, you did mention that he hit only 247, had only a 703 OPS, Those were not very good. Those were both career lows. However, he fractured his foot in the middle of June. So most of the season that he did play came during those coldest months where everybody was struggling. And he is a guy who doesn't hit the ball very hard and who puts it in the air a ton. So he has that exact sort of profile like Marcus Simeon that would struggle in those environmental conditions. So... I presume that if he got a full season, he got to play when when it was warmer, that his numbers would have corrected like Marcus Simeons did.
3: Five drafts have been done over on the NFBC so far, Scott. Ozzie Albee's ADP is 38.4. Jose Altuve is 46.2.
1: Yeah, if it's already happening,
3: <laughs> I, th- I think that's going to keep happening. Well, here's and, my only argument for Ozzie Albee, Scott, is that we just saw... A pretty great season. From, an elite season from Jose Altuve. He was a top 20 player. He finished 19th overall in Roto. Uh-huh. Ozzie Albies was better in his last full season. 2021, he was 16th overall. So you can argue that his upside is higher, and he's the younger player. So I guess... Yeah, he, he had, had him a career-high
1: 30 homers that yeah. year. He had a career-high 20 steals. So... I don't know that he's ever going to be that good again. He he scored 103 runs, he drove in 106. Like that those are going to be hard numbers for Ozzy Albies to repeat. I think, you know, just looking at it line item by line item, Jose Altuve clearly the better batting average bet. Correct. I f- would say he's the better home run bet. Stolen bases, I'll give the edge to Albies, but not by much. Mm-hmm. Uh that was his his second most stolen bases in a season is 15, less than Altuve had this past year.
3: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd rather have Altuve. It's it's close though. I, I I think it's pretty close. I think you can argue the Braves lineup is actually better than the Astros, as good as the Astros are. Right, like Altuve had 57 RBI. Ozzy Albies, you mentioned, had 100 previous season. So, uh, we'll see. It's yeah. it's pretty close between those two. Jazz Chisholm is fourth on this list, Scott, in your rankings, and he was off to a tremendous start. 254 batting average, 14 homers, 12 steals in 60 games. For whatever reason, two years in a row when nobody else is hitting, Jazz Chisholm is the one hitting. Uh, That is a 35 homer, 30 steal pace over 150 games. Can he play that many games? I I don't know. He's he's dealt with a bunch of injuries the past couple of seasons. Stress fracture in his back this year. Also turned out that he had a torn meniscus, so he's got to come back from that stuff. He's got to prove that he can stay healthy, uh, but he is a clear StatCast standout out th- at this position, Scott. He crushes the ball. 90.4 exit velocity, 16.7% barrel rate. That's just not something you see from another second baseman.
1: Yeah, I'm in on Jazz Chisholm now. I was out on him last year. And, you know, I'd still rather just get out Altuve or Simeon and be done with it, not have to deal with injury risks or mm-hmm. performance risks or anything like that at the position. Uh, but if I had to settle for Chisholm, it wouldn't be the worst thing. My, my biggest concern with him now is just staying healthy. I'm not so concerned about performance anymore. He is one of the few second basemen who actually does impact the ball very hard, as you point out and uh, he's going to be one of the most prolific base stealers at the position. He does still strike out too much, but it's trending the right way. So I'm uh, I'm getting more optimistic about Chisholm's long-term prospects in fantasy when you know for the most part I've been uh, on, on the, the the negative side of the ledger until now.
3: Does it matter to you that he is awful? against left-handed pitching. 2.23 batting average, 661 OPS in his career. It was somehow even worse than that in 2022.
1: Yeah, not really. I mean, left-handers against left-handers, you expect them to be bad. Yeah. I've seen worse, certainly. <laughs> uh, he's he's so young, he could get better, but it, it's not going to impact his playing time, which is which would be the main concern for me.
3: All right, the last name in this top five is Trevor Story, who only played 94 games but did wind up hitting 238 with 16 home runs and 13 steals. That is a 25-homer, 20-steal pace over 150 games. And he's another player who got off to a really slow start, obviously uh, coming over from Colorado and Cordes Field, playing in a new, a brand-new environment, Fenway, Boston, new position, playing second base. I think it's easy to kind of give him a mulligan early on in the season, Scott, but once he started to get going, he kind of looked like Trevor Story. Uh, If we get a good discount on him, I'll be in. This is one where I could see, like, let's jump in on Trevor Story. I I think he can get back to having an elite season.
1: I don't think he can get back to being elite myself, and let me see... Um so i remember my sometimes i remember my broad takeaways when i do these deep dives on players but then i forget the specifics so he had he had 9 home runs in may but still hit just 2 218 218 for the month and then you know even after may um obviously he missed a lot of time with injury but after may he still got uh, 189 at-bats, he hit 254, had a 731 OPS. Power's there, speed is there. It's, it's not like he's a bad option, particularly at this position. But I do think it's safe to conclude, looking at this first year in Boston, looking at his final year in Colorado, that he's not much up in batting average anymore. He's going to be a liability in that category, if anything. Obviously... He's not going to get all the Babbit boosts that he got in Colorado. And uh, the strikeout rate is climbing as well, which isn't going to help on in the batting average. His expected batting average was 221, actually 17 points lower than his actual mark. So I don't see a stud outcome for Trevor Story anymore. Will there be enough home runs and stolen bases for him to be I mean, look, I have him ranked fifth among second basemen for next year, so I certainly see that there's value there. But yeah, I just, I, I think, I I don't think this stud out comes on the table anymore.
3: All right, let's move through uh, six to ten in the rankings. We've got Tommy Edman, Andres Jimenez, Max Muncy, Cattell Marte, and Jorge Polanco. With with Max Muncy, Scott. It, this was another tale of two seasons. First four months, he hit 161, nine homers, 613 OPS. Final two months, 247, twelve homers, 858 OPS. He was basically Max Muncie. Was dealing mm-hmm. with the elbow injury in the off season. It could just be that it took him all that time to get healthy and get comfortable while playing with that injury. Uh, it seems like it would be a pretty reasonable explanation. And then the other two that we haven't talked about: Cattell Marte and Jorge Polanco. Just completely hampered by injuries. Uh, Cattell Marte, he still played 137 games, but it just kind of felt like he was never healthy. Constantly dealing with hamstring injuries throughout the season. Um, can you see yourself buying back in on any of those three? muncy Cattell Marte, Jorge Polanco?
1: I think in points leagues, it'll be really easy to buy back in on Muncie. I mean, he's always been better in that format because the plate discipline's so good. The batting average, which can be kind of suspect, it doesn't it doesn't hurt you in points leagues. So I'd be totally happy with Muncy in that format. I had a lot of concerns about his elbow heading into the year, him, him not having it surgically, surgically corrected. And it, those concerns seemed justified for the first two-thirds of the season. But not only was the produ- production back those final two months, uh, Muncy's average exit velocity from August 1st on was 92.3 miles per hour. That would have been a career high if he had done that. Over the course of the season. So I think he proved that he's his his elbow is sound, and I expect him to be much better from start to finish next year. Uh, the others Catel Marte, Jorge Polanco. Uh did you mention the guy after them?
3: No, he's in the next group of five, but he's let's a- go ahead and
1: mention him because I think yeah. it's a similar situation.
3: Yeah, it's Brandon Lau.
1: Yeah. So Marte, Polanco, Lau, obviously these were three guys who we thought were borderline studs coming into the year and none of them came close to living up to that. Marte is the one that's most confounding to me because the stat cast numbers st- still look great. They've, they've kind of always looked great for him. He hits the ball very hard. It seems like the sort of launch angle that should translate to power and yet since his 32 homer 2019 season he's hit a total of so he's played 272 games since then and hit a total of 28 home runs It was obviously not good power production i like i uh, the upside is apparent to me and obviously in 2021 another injury plagued season he played only 90 games he still delivered a 909 ops he hit 318 the power wasn't great but it was good enough if he's going to hit 318 you know but just the lack of consistency even though the underlying numbers say he should be better it's hard to count on Catel Marte for much if we get to this point in the draft and I don't have a second baseman yet okay shoot for upside but I don't feel great about it I actually think Jorge Polanco like I see I see a clearer path to him recovering to his 2021 numbers than Marte, because it looked pretty fluky for him how he didn't produce more. And I feel like if he, I, I feel like if he hadn't got his season interrupted by injuries, because remember 2021 played out similarly. Through May he was basically awful, and then he just went bananas. Over the final two thirds of the season, I feel like if not for those injury interruptions, things would have played out better for Jorge Polanco. Maybe he would have rebounded. He still hit 16 home runs in 375 at bats. So, you no, know, a lot of it was just the fact that the batting average was uh, lagging. But he hit the ball as hard as before. He his strikeout rate was still solid. He hits a lot of line drives. Like I, it, it feels like kind of a fluky thing for Polanco, and that better health would do a lot for him. The upside for Ketel Marte is higher. But the... the I'm not going to say the downside is, is better for Jorge Polanco. It's just... I feel like he's more likely to reach his upside. I'll put it
3: that way. And the big talking point for Jorge Polanco going into last year is how did he produce all of this power all of a sudden? He did it by hitting more fly balls and pulling the ball a ton more than ever before in 2021. Last year, that came back a little bit, but... He was still pulling the ball a lot, 49%. That's 43% for his career. So I agree, Scott. I mean, still hit the ball, the same average exit velocity, similar hard hit rates, and was still pulling it quite a bit. It seems mm-hmm. like everything is, is there for Jorge Polanco to get back on track if he can get healthy. And just to put a bow on these three, Catel Marte, Polanco, Brandon Lau.
1: Uh, I, yeah, I want to address Lau too, because I didn't get a chance to. But I, th-
3: I think this position is dependent on the health of those three, right? Like we're o- we're only 11 deep and we're already talking about how worried we are about these players. But if they can stay healthy, it's a big if, then they've shown what kind of upside they have in the past.
1: So... I mean, look, if they all bounce back to something like 2021, this position looks a lot better. Of course, yeah. But it's, you know, asking all three of them to do that, that's, that's hard. And if you're just going to, okay, I'm going to draft one of these guys because I like the upside. Well... You can't be sure you're going to pick the right one, and then what do you fall back on if it doesn't work out? Yeah. Uh, Of course, Brandon Lau hit 39 home runs in 2021, and everything he showed in his career up to that point made him out to be a big-time slugger. But then he hit, in 2022 here, just eight home runs and 235 at-bats. Now, he was dealing with a back injury. It came on early. He came back, and then he... didn't hit very well and then ended up back on the I.L. with that same back injury. So it's possible he was just plagued by that injury all season long and was never right and so he deserves a complete pass. The biggest concern for Lau for me is that even when he was healthy, the Rays weren't playing him all that regularly and that's, that's the way they handle things. He's a left-handed hitter. I just, even if he's right, I'm not totally confident in the playing time.
3: All right, let's get to the top 15, we have mentioned already, Brandon Lau at 11. At number 12, we have Brandon Drury, followed by Glaber Torres, John Birdie, and Jake Cronenworth. Birdie is the one we haven't mentioned yet. He led all of baseball with 41 steals. He also hit 240 with four home runs and a 662 OPS and a 93 weighted runs created plus. I, mm-hmm. I, I think we know who John Birdie is. He's not a very good hitter. He can steal yeah. bases in bunches, which you know, can help in deeper category leagues, but I don't think there's much there, Scott.
1: Yeah, I I really don't know where to rank him. I don't want him. I know that. (laughs) Like, I've never been inclined to take the steel specialist anyway. That's going to be especially true with the rules changes taking effect in 2023. And um, Birdie seems like, even though he led the majors in steals by a good margin, he seems like a weaker bet to follow up on that than than most stolen base specialists we've seen over the years because he's 33 years old and the Marlins were kind of just backed into a corner playing him every day like that's never the goal going into the season to play John Birdie every day so versatile that he tends to play a lot but I don't think that's going to be by design heading into this year either where did he end up going in your in your mock if you have that pulled up. Let's see. Because if if there is if there's no appetite for drafting Birdie, then I've overrate, I, I've overranked him here, and I need to correct that.
3: He went in the 14th round of a 15 team league. That was just before Ty France, Ian Happ, Josh Rojas, Brendan Nimmo, Rowdy Telez, Oscar Gonzalez.
1: It sounds like he was drafted pretty high. Then, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. But I'm I'm open to moving him. I'm I'm going to move him to a point where I don't end up drafting him. When all's said and done,
3: <laughs> I think that's fair. Let's move to 16 through 20 in the rankings. That starts with DJ Lemayhu, Gene Segura, Brendan Rogers, Jonathan India, and Jeff McNeil. DJ Lemayhu, another one on this list, where it looked like he was bouncing back uh, to. Not the same player we've seen in the past because, you know, he had some truly elite seasons early on with the Yankees here, but he was bouncing back and then boom, injury sapped it all away. And now we we're back to, what do we expect heading into next season? We don't exactly know with TJ LeMahieu, Gene Segura, I'm a little surprised by this ranking, Scott. It seems pretty low for him. He was good when he played 277 batting average, 10 homers, 13 seals in 98 games. Uh, he does have a club option for $17 million, so perhaps the Phillies don't pick that up. But he was still really good. Uh, and you can't use the age argument, Scott, because he's going to be the same age as Jose Altuve.
1: Well, I, I mean, oh, Jose Altuve shown no signs of decline, I think. Sergar has been pretty stable the last few years, but he obviously hasn't been like he was in his prime. I'm going to guess they don't pick up that option, $17 million? And so that that obviously throws his future into doubt. I could be yeah. wrong about that. I mean, I maybe.
3: don't know either. Actually, that that's that's a close one. I I've seen yeah. some rumors linking Trey Turner to the Phillies. Just early rumors, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, he's
1: pretty boring. Um,
3: oh, you don't like a good batting average with 15 homers and 20 steals? Scott, come on.
1: I mean, two seventy seven. It's helpful. That's it's good. Not, it's not. <laughs> he's just kind of like a little above average at everything, you know?
3: I like Gene Segura.
1: And, and I know. I, I always
3: like Gene Segura, man. <laughs> I took him in this first draft. I mean, if you draft. Want to move him
1: ahead of Le Mayhew, Cronenworth, yeah. that's fine, but I just, I, I feel like those two have more upside than he does. Uh I, I am kind of, I am worried about LeMahieu, though. I, I think he and Cronenworth are similar in terms of they optimize their swing for an environment that doesn't exist anymore, and so now... They're kind of struggling to figure out what they're going to be. It's just Cronenworth's a lot younger, so he has more time to figure that out, and he's not dealing with diminishing skills the way LeMahieu might be. And also, the Yankees just introduced Oswald Peraza. They're presumably going to reduce, uh, uh, introduce Anthony Volpe at some point next year, and I could just see DJ LeMahieu if he's not, if he's not doing any better than he has been the last couple of years. I, I could see him... Yeah, I could see his role being reduced.
3: I agree with that. I saw something on Twitter earlier that kind of made sense to me. Anthony Rizzo has a player option, which I think he's going to opt out of. And if the Yankees choose not to bring him back... They can just move D.J. LeMahieu over to first base full-time, which <laughs> is not very exciting from, from a Yankee yeah. perspective. But I mean,
1: the, media, the the Yankees media is talking about heads needing to roll, and if that's, <laughs> if that's what they ultimately decide to do at first base, I don't think, uh, don't, I don't think that's going to satisfy anybody.
3: Don't get me started, Scott. <laughs> On the uh, Yankees offseason, apparently all the rumors are Aaron Judge is gone, but <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll see. Uh, last couple of names here on the list, Brandon Rodgers, 18th overall. Uh, he's, he's still young enough where I guess he can progress, but he just kind of feels jaggy at this point, just a guy. Uh, 19th is Jonathan India, 20th is Jeff McNeil. India's another one, Scott. He kind of fits into that Brandon Lau, Jorge Polanco mold. I don't know that the upside is as high as those guys, but if he can bounce back in terms of health, that goes a long way to helping out this position because no matter which way you want to slice it, you look at the numbers from this year and especially the StatCast numbers, I don't know that Jonathan India was ever healthy this year. So I kind of yeah. just give him a pass.
1: Yeah, that, that may be fair. And I'm doing that to some degree by ranking him as high as 19th. But you know, a big difference between him and guys like Hattel Marte and, and Brandon Lau is that we all really had reason to be skeptical of India's performance uh because it was you know not not very impressive underlying stats to to back up that rookie of the year performance. And you know, for the stretches, he was supposedly healthy this year. He basically did nothing. And especially concerning to me was that he wasn't even getting on base anymore. That was he wasn't he wasn't a great hitter in the minors, Jonathan India, but one thing he always did, including in his rookie season, was walk a lot. And if he wasn't even doing that I don't know. It, it it seems like the floor is awfully low for Jonathan India. But I'd be fine with him as a middle infield option late.
3: All right. Well, I hope you're wrong because I have him in the Sky White Dynasty <laughs> League.
1: <laughs> I have been in a dynasty league too. So, yeah. I've been a couple actually. So, I I hope I hope for good things from Jonathan India as well, but it was it was a very discouraging second season. And uh you know, it's just kind of a cross your fingers type of pick for a player with questionable skills as it is.
3: All right. Well, let's recap the top twenty. One through five, Jose Altuve, Marcus Semien, Ozzy Albies, Jazz Chisholm, and Trevor Story. Six through ten, Tommy Edmond, Andres Jimenez, Max Muncy, Catel Marte, Jorge Polanco, eleven through fifteen, Brandon Lau, Brandon Drury, Glaber Torres, John Birdie, Jay Cronenworth, sixteen through twenty. D.J. LeMahieu, Gene Segura, Brendan Rodgers, Jonathan India, and Jeff McNeil. That is for 5x5 Roto Leagues. What changes in head-to-head points? Max Muncy, Jay Cronenworth, D.J. LeMahieu uh, get a bit of a boost. And Luisa Reyes also jumps inside the top 20. John Birdie, no surprise there. He falls outside of the top 20. We're going to wrap there for Scott I. And Frank, thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye.